0: Take care while listening to this podcast. It discusses criminal activity, including violence, abduction, and murder, sometimes involving children. Also, any opinions in these episodes are solely the opinions of the creators telling the story. Suspects mentioned in these tales are considered innocent unless proven guilty in a court of law, and these are real stories about real people. The most important thing we can do to honor the victims and their loved ones is to play an active role in our criminal justice system, remain vigilant in understanding our surroundings, and support organizations that work to make sure that stories like these remain the exception and not the rule. In The Offshore Pirate, F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote, All life is just a progression toward and then recession from, one phrase, I love you. That sentiment captures the ebb and flow of the heart, with love being the center. The journey toward it and then away from it can feel like a roller coaster, or the slow movement of the tides on a beach. It might also explain why Valentine's Day is a quote holiday that is both equally loved and reviled, both anticipated and dreaded depending on where you are in your life. Artists have grappled with this notion since the first human felt the inspiration to paint on a cave wall, to dance, or sing out in the night sky. Love both gained and lost has been the inspiration for most art, both the written word, the painted portrait, and the harmony of the soul. There is perhaps no place where the existence of love is more fervently expressed than through music and, in recent years, no star has more consistently examined love in both its beautiful and beastly forms more completely than Taylor Swift. If, a year ago, you would have told me that I would not only like her music, but consider myself a Swifty, I would have called you crazy to your face. But, that's where we are. What a difference a year makes. So why, might you ask, is Taylor Swift being mentioned in a True Crime Podcast collaboration? Well, she's the inspiration for the stories we're telling in this miniseries. Each case was chosen based on the title of a Taylor Swift song. So, let's dive into this episode of the Taylor Swift-inspired True Crime Collaboration.
1: Network. Welcome to the dark side of podcasting.
2: Welcome to Murder and Mimosas,
1: a true crime podcast brought to you by a mother and daughter duo,
2: bringing you murder stories with the mimosas in hand.
1: Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas, a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, Murder and sexual assault. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information. Some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back to Murder and Mimosas. I'm Danica, and I'm Shannon. We are honored to do another collaboration with some amazing True Crime podcasts. If you're a Swiftie and should be extra exciting since she just announced her new album coming out, then you will be all in for this collab because each of these episodes are inspired by a Taylor Swift song. And for you OG fans, we picked Haunted that was released in 2010. So let's start with the Yoder family. The matriarch was Mary Yoder she was like this positive light she really just held the family together and then there was the patriarch william who lived at Bill's, so that's what we're going to call him yoder he was a hard-working man he truly adored his family and together in their almost four decades of marriage they had three children just a year after their nuptials they welcomed their first little girl lana two years later they were blessed with another little girl Tamron. And then a decade later, they had their last child, a boy, Adam. Ten years? That sounds like a happy accident. I'm sure he was, but the entire family was super happy to welcome him. Mary and Bill both became chiropractors, and they ended up starting a business together. And that was like the pinnacle in their community. Both of them were. This office that they had were, was... Um. So Mary was way more than just a mother, a wife, or a doctor. She was really like super optimistic. She loved everyone she encountered, especially her patient. They talk about her a lot as being like part of the family. She just was super caring and loving. And then Bill was way more than just a father, husband, and doctor as well. He was a provider. He was just the rock for the family. And people talked about him being very just strong,
2: stoic type. And they both sound like amazing people, but I have to say they both sound like those people that light up a room, oh
1: lordy. They both are amazing people, and they both do light up a room, but let's see how that plays out for them. Um, but for a second, we're going to kind of talk more about their kids, okay? So there are quite a few dynamics that play a role in this case, and we kind of have to dive into all of them to really
2: make sense of everything. Getting my board and red strength ready out now. You will probably need it for this one,
1: but let's start back with the three children. So we have the oldest, uh, Lana, like I mentioned before, so she's married with children and she kind of followed in her parents' footsteps to some degree. She became a medical doctor. However, once, like, starting to have children, she became a stay-at-home mother to care for them. While she is still living in New York, which is where the Yoders, Mary and Bill, live, um, and where she grew up, she moved to Sulphic County, which is about five and a half hours south of her parents, who were in Utica, New York.
2: I can't imagine being that far away from my grandbaby, but, of course, that's just me. Yeah, y'all moved to live closer to your grandbaby, but...
1: You know, everyone's different and they have like a whole business that they've created from the ground up. I can't imagine it's easy to move, and you can't help but if your kids
2: leave. No, but I will stalk you and follow you wherever. Good to know. (laughs) (laughs) The middle child Cameron Yoder, I couldn't
1: find as much information about her. I know that she moved away from home. I don't I couldn't really find anything about if she had any romantic relationships doesn't seem like she had any kids and I couldn't find what she did for a living she was definitely like the epitome of a middle child like as I'm searching <laughs> yeah. for her like there's <laughs> a lot about the oldest there's a lot about Adam there's very little about Tamron okay nobody seemed to be worried about what she was doing um, she didn't really know much about what was happening in her parents daily lives she was really just kind of disconnected from the rest of the family middle so child just, syndrome. yes it fit And then we have Adam Yoder. He is the youngest and the only boy, and he still lived in Utica. He was going to work, and part-time, he was also um, working as the office manager at the chiropractic clinic. So Adam had this on-again, off-again
0: relationship
1: with a woman that was like just a few years younger. Her name was Katie Connolly. When Adam's schedule picked up, he started talking to his parents, and he ended up convincing them to let katie split the office hours between the two of them since they both were in school this just worked out really well for both of them and it made sure that the office was being manned and someone was there to check in guests
2: mixing business and pleasure is never a great idea especially if it's your parents business well mary and bill definitely
1: had some reservations about this idea but Adam just assured them that the couple would keep business and pleasure separate. And with a little persuasion, his parents finally came around and they agreed. And Adam already didn't tell his parents much about his, like, personal life. So it wasn't really that hard for him to keep his private life, like, away from his parents. And, um, you know, they only talked about work with Katie. So they weren't, like, prying for information. So it didn't seem like it was really an issue to keep the two separate. And Katie quickly became a fixture at the office, greeting guests, checking them in, handling bookkeeping, and scheduling appointments. The Yoders had no complaints and Katie was a good worker, she was very timely, she was friendly, she worked really hard. So when Adam wanted to leave the practice to focus more on school and other things, the Yoders agreed to allow Katie to work full time as the office manager. And Adam completely left the practice. Now, while things might have been great on the business side for Katie and Adam, pleasure side was crumbling. Mm. Adam and Katie always had like a bit of a tumultuous relationship, which you probably figured from the on again, off again, that's not normally like a good relationship. But at this point, they, it really started to go downhill and deteriorate. So one of their, oh, unquote, off periods, right? Katie had sex with a friend of Adam's. And this was something that Adam could just not move past. Like, he couldn't seem to get over it. And
2: told Katie that he was through for good this time. So he said, we are never, ever getting back together. You could say that. <laughs> though I don't think that he said it just like that. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> Adam was unable to cut contact with Katie completely, though. Why? Well, I know he worked for, or she worked for his parents, but that really has nothing to do with him anymore. Yeah,
1: and it actually had nothing to do with Katie working at the Yoder's clinic, but on during their one of their on periods, Katie had made an offer to Adam and offered to loan him some money to help pay for some debt and buy a new car. At the time, even, Adam was pretty apprehensive to accept but with some insistence on Katie's part, like her saying, you know, I want a life with you and like this is what you do, he finally agreed. This debt, though, kept Adam tied to Katie, which I think was really what she was hoping it would do. He still owed her a substantial amount of money, just under
2: 23000 Whoa. Where is she? She's just working as an office manager. Where is she getting this kind of money? keep that we're gonna come back to okay. that there were
1: lots of text exchanges between adam and katie that showed like their love hate relationship for one another in reading many of these only one really stood out and it was during one of their off periods in 2013 adam was staying the night at his new girlfriend's house and after midnight he gets a call from katie and it had on this is really odd because katie doesn't really call anymore and she would text occasionally but calls were rare and definitely in like this late so he was concerned that maybe it was like an emergency situation So he steps out of the room so not to wake his girlfriend and probably for her not to hear him calling his ex back at midnight and calls katie back but she doesn't answer so he shrugs it off you know maybe it was a drunk dial type thing goes back to bed and doesn't hear from katie again until the following evening when he gets a very long detailed text from her about why she had called the night before. She said she had drove herself to the hospital because she was pregnant with Adam's child, but had a medically induced miscarriage. This truly shook Adam to the core as the thought of having like possibly become a dad really confused him. It left him in this just odd state. In a state of shock still, Adam knew Katie had obviously been through something really traumatic ...and he left his girlfriend's house to go comfort Katie. Mm, That's sweet of him. I wonder if his girlfriend thought that. (laughs) Right. Well, the text exchange between the two as he headed her way doesn't seem very sweet, though. We've got these written out, so how about this? I'll read Adam. You want to read Katie? Okay. Okay.
2: God, Katie, life isn't fair. I know. That's why we have to make the best of it. Do what we want. I'm sorry. We would have come to the same conclusion anyway if we had talked about it or not we're going through our own things you expressly told me you didn't want a child i respected that damn it adam if you had said otherwise things i say don't give you the
1: right to make decisions that involve me by yourself i'm so torn up and hurt and confused now and while that was the end of their text exchange about the subject that day The two of them would continue this back and forth for the following few days. Again, if you'll be Katie, I will be Adam.
2: I didn't want to do this alone and you didn't want to be there. Two weeks later, you're ready to have kids? You wouldn't have been alone. I'm not a piece of shit. You were quite clear. I was very alone. What does it change? You don't want to be tied down. That was the life. You left me alone. That
1: officially cuts up. I want nothing to do with you. You are selfish. While Adam said he wanted nothing to do with her, the two continued for weeks, bickering like this. And somehow, in a few months, Adam had left his girlfriend and went back
2: to Katie. This sounds like an all-around toxic relationship. Well, it was. At some point, the two break things off again,
1: but they tried to maintain a civil friendship. Pride is the key word there. In mid April of 2015, the two agreed to meet for lunch. Adam was in a relationship with another new woman, but was still willing to try to maintain a friendship with Katie. At lunch, Katie had brought Adam a supplement called Alpha Brain to help him focus for finals. Adam had taken Adderall in the past, so Katie thought that this would be like a healthier option. Adam wasn't really all that interested. But to keep from upsetting Katie, he did take the bottle of supplements with him. Though he had no intentions of actually taking any of the alpha brain. However, Katie urged consistently through text for Adam to just give them a try. And finally, Adam shook one of the pills out, popped it in his mouth before starting to study. But Adam said that it really didn't do anything. He didn't notice it helping him in any way. And that's also what he told Katie in text when she followed up. Days later, Katie is again pushing for Adam to give the alpha brain another try.
2: So why is she so worried about Adam taking the supplement though? She never says, but we may have some speculative answers later. So we'll circle back to
1: that too. Put a pin in that. Okay. Lots of pins in this one. So, within that same week, though, Adam comes down with what he thought is, like, really nasty stomach bug, possibly even the flu. His dad calls his eldest daughter, Lena, Lana, whatever her name is, I can't, I don't know if I'm even saying it right, (laughs) to ask what they should do for Adam. Why
2: did he call her?
1: She's a physician, remember?
2: Oh, that's right. Well, what advice did she give? Well, because Adam
1: had it coming out both ends, if you know what I mean, uh, his sister recommended, like, their dad take him to the ER for fluids just to avoid dehydration. And so Bill loads Adam up and takes him in. And the fluids helped, and he felt a little bit better. But it took Adam, like, months to actually feel normal again.
2: That must have been some
1: bug can only imagine but katie would send texts just occasionally to like check up on adam and that's kind of where we're going to leave their relationship we'll come back to them but now we're going to go to mary yoder okay so we're going to be focusing specifically on on june 20th of 2015 and talk about mary's day so that morning it was mary's yoder's day at the office many days the couple bill and mary would like do split shifts but on this day it was all mary so bill still woke up early no alarm clock would be needed
2: i would be annoyed to wake up early if i didn't have to work
1: me too but while bill didn't have to work at the clinic he did have things to get done a honeydew list probably Mm, yes he stayed out of mary's way as she rushed around the house to get ready by doing his morning workout katie was already at the office front desk when mary came in and Mary came in as her usual bubbly self. She handled her appointment, she chatted with the client, just being super exuberant, which is basically how everyone saw her. So Mary was very into herbal supplements and shakily protein shakes. And that's often what she had for lunch on work day, since she was really busy between clients
2: is Shakely the pre-made protein shakes or the powder that you add to the liquid and mix it up on your own and shake it? It is actually the powder kind that you can add
1: in and you shake it up, probably what was new, Shakely. On this that day, since Yeah. On <laughs> this day, though, she visited her mother during lunch, but she didn't actually eat at her mother's house. She just went to go see her. And then she came back to the office and she mixed herself up one of those shakes. She then began to see more of her patients but by the time, like, she got to the last few patients of the day, it was, like, late afternoon, she wasn't feeling very, like, herself, didn't feel great. And a long-time patient had come in to see Mary right before close, and was concerned because Mary was super pale and her demeanor was just off. She wasn't chatty. She was, like, just not herself lighting up the room. Right. And normally, Mary is super attentive with her patients, super friendly. And this time, though, she would like leave and step out in the hall a lot and she just wasn't lighting the room. Yeah. Basically. I mean, she could just be having an off day. We all have those. Possible. But as she arrived home, she went straight past her husband, Bill, in the kitchen and into the bathroom. He's obviously startled and concerned because it's not her normal behavior to rushed by into the bathroom so he goes and he stands outside the bathroom and he can hear that she's like violently sick and of course people are allowed to get sick you know like it happens but mary rarely got sick she was like the poster child for health. so for her to suddenly be sick to this degree it really worried her husband however the two decided that hopefully a night of rest would have mary quickly on the mend mary did decide to stay downstairs on the couch near the restroom... ...as she really just didn't have the stamina and energy to climb up the stairs. And at first, Bill stayed near her side... ...until Mary was like, no, please go to bed, go get some rest... ...and, you know, we'll see how I feel in the morning. Was she feeling better in the morning? No, by morning, she was still sick. She had spent pretty much all of the night awake due to having to get up to the bathroom. And since they had recently dealt with something similar with Adam... Bill decided that he would do the same thing he did for Adam, and he took
2: Mary to the hospital for fluids. That makes sense. Sounds like she had what he had, and the fluids seemed to help Adam. Yeah, so at 9 a.m. on July 21st,
1: they headed the hospital, and when they arrived, the EHAR got her back in no time, providing her fluids via IV. And it began to help as she was starting to get a little bit of energy back, but the doctors were puzzled as to what made Mary so sick. They gave her medication to help suppress the vomiting, diarrhea, and her pain, and when the test came back that Mary did not have a stomach bug or the flu, the hospital decided it would be best to keep Mary overnight because she was still very weak and they had no answers. So Mary asked for Bill to run home and grab a few things for her just to be a little bit more comfortable overnight. She wanted her glasses. She wanted a robe because, let's be honest, hospital robes (laughs) are awful. She wanted her herbal cough drops because her throat had been hurting from having been sick so much. And just a few little other things. Bill obliged, and when he returned, he let Mary know that he would call and cancel the patients for the next day. We know that Mary is very attentive to her patients, so she was like, "Uh, uh, uh, Uh-uh-uh, no, not happening. And she insisted, go home, get some rest, and then handle the patients the next day. Like, they were counting on them. And Bill tried to talk Mary out of this plan, but with more persistence from Mary, he finally relented because you don't want to argue with your wife. Just say yes, ma'am, and do it.
2: And you can also see how much Mary cares about her patients. You can.
1: And, you know, I I feel a little bad for Bill, though, because he
2: has to be in a position where he feels very torn. Yeah, you want to be with your spouse if they're in the hospital
1: so he heads home for a bit of sleep and he promises to swing by in the morning before going into the office he is obviously exhausted this has been a long day for him too and so he gets ready for bed as soon as he gets home and he puts his phone on the charger in the spare room why the spare room and not his room apparently that's where he and Mary charge their phones for less distractions during the night um however Bill was awakened by someone pounding on the front door so he bounds down the stairs as quickly as he can, and there's a an police officer at his front door. He's obviously like instantly concerned, like what's happening. He thinks it could be one of his kids or his grandkid, but he is shocked to be told that he needed to call the hospital back like now. They had called numerous tra- times to get a hold of him. And he does as he's instructed, and of course, at the same time, he's wondering, like, what could be wrong? Mary was getting better when he left last night, or at least that's what he thought.
2: Okay, but it's also weird to leave your phone there with your wife in the hospital in a spare room
1: downstairs,
2: in my opinion.
1: Yeah, true. But I guess if it's just habit, you've had a long day, charge it up. I don't know, but I also couldn't imagine not having my phone out by me, but that's just me. Bill called the hospital to be told that Mary had taken a turn for the worse. She had coded, and while they brought her back, things were not looking well. So Bill called all of his children as he headed back to the hospital. By the time all of Bill and Mary's children had arrived at the hospital, Mary had seven code blues, but continued to come back from each of them. When the family is distraught, right, they keep singing, their mother in this awful state, and then, like, she loses consciousness or vitals and they come in and they're having to revive her and that works for a little while and she, it happens over and over plus the doctors can't provide any answers as to what is causing mary's condition like this has obviously gone past a stomach bug but what happened and then on the eighth code blue
2: it would be the final and mary would pass at 2:45 p.m Even when she died, the doctors had no idea what made her sick so fast and so quickly that led to her death. I mean, this is crazy. It started out like a stomach bug. This is scary. Yeah, so no, the family is totally devastated,
1: compacted by the fact that they have zero answers as to how this happened. The doctor asked Bill about doing an autopsy on Mary, and he is right away on board. He craved answers to what happened to his wife. Which makes sense. You want some sort of closure. You want to know what happened. Despite not being a couple, the only non-family member at the hospital during this time was Katie, and she was actually asked there by the request of Adam. He really needed the comfort of someone familiar who knew and loved his mother, and she agreed to come and stand by him be his emotional support during this ordeal. Bill is struggling mentally and emotionally after the loss of Mary. His mind becomes blur, he's grieving, he's crying constantly. So his daughter suggested that he speak with someone else who had lost a spouse. He had a sister-in-law, Mary's sister, Kathleen, and she had lost her husband the previous year. So Bill's daughter, who's extremely concerned about her father, but really, you know, she doesn't have an experience with grief or what to do, so she urges him to reach out to Kathleen. In the meantime, the autopsy was happening as the family waited with bated breath for what happened to the glue
2: of their family. I cannot even imagine what this family's going through to suddenly lose someone like that and not know why or how it happened. Yeah, so during the autopsy, Dr. Kenneth Clark opens Mary
1: up and finds her organs to be red, green, and purple colored, which is not normal. When... Liana spoke with the Emmy's office. They didn't really know much, but did know that it was possibly an exposure to a toxin. And so toxicology was sent out. But to the Emmy's surprise,
2: it came back negative. So it wasn't a toxin after all. And they're all back to square one now? Well, they're not so sure. So they have sent out for another
1: test that looked for what they referred to as more, quote, exotic toxins. But that came back negative as well, and now they're down to, like, very little blood, meaning the next test would be the final test that they could do. So Clark is determined, and he wants to find answers to what happened, so he's recommended by another Emmy to go to the Poison Control Center and talk to the doctors there, since he thinks that it could be a toxin, they may have some information that could be helpful. So he did just that, taking all of the information about Mary with him, including like the medical records, the doctor's office, the hospital.
3: Are you looking for your next true crime podcast? Do you crave stories that have mystery and suspense? Well, look no further. Introducing Love and Murder, the podcast that dives deep into the world of relationships gone horribly wrong every week. I take you on a journey through the dark side of love where passion turns into obsession, families become enemies, and romance turns to murder. From mysterious mysteries to suspenseful suspense, I dive deep into cases of love gone wrong. So why should you listen to Love and Murder? Because this is not just another true crime podcast where your partners in crime. Not guilty. You're storytellers and your weekly dose of suspenseful entertainment. How many times have I said suspenseful? So what are you waiting for? Join the Love and Murder family and become part of the Lamb community. Tune in every week for a new episode that will keep you hooked. Go ahead, hit that subscribe button now. Love and Murder, because you're either someone's last love or their first murder. Love and Murder, available on all major podcast platforms. Not for true crimers under 18. Must be an apple juice drinking enthusiast, but not really. Side effects include enjoying another true crime podcast, becoming a lamb, learning logic and how to deal with your problems in a healthy manner, and not turning into murder. Waiting for the next episode of Love and Murder to drop every week. Visit our website at www.murderandlove.com. And remember, all love and no murder. See you soon.
1: So they were able to narrow it down to colchicine.
2: So what is that exactly?
1: It's an anti-inflammatory and it's prescribed for Mediterranean fever and gout. So with this possibility, they sent out the last sample to test for colchicine and they get a positive result. Meaning that Mary died from colchicine toxicity.
2: Now the question is how? Since we're talking about it on this podcast, I'm going to guess someone poisoned her. You would be correct. So let's talk about who the investigators are looking at. First, of course, is Bill. Right. You
1: always have to look at the spouse. Right. And the other is Adam Yoder, which was Mary and Bill's son. So he comes into the picture in a way that's a little odd. There is an anonymous letter sent to investigators, and this letter pointed the finger directly at Adam. It was two pages long, so I'm going to hit the main points. It said that if the toxin was colchizine, then the killer was Adam, and he had confessed to the anonymous letter writer. Furthermore, it highlighted the motive with financial reasons, a poor relationship between mother and son, and the major part was that the bottle of colchizine was in a small glass bottle under the driver's seat of Adam's vehicle. Okay, this really doesn't look great for Adam. I agree, and since the note is anonymous and they cannot corroborate anything, they can't request a warrant for Adam's vehicle. But something about this note doesn't sit right with the investigators. So they called Adam in to speak with them. And he comes in his vehicle voluntarily and quickly. When asked if they could search his vehicle, he agrees. And during the search, they find a bottle of colchicine in his truck under the driver's seat. This really seems like a setup to me. It does to investigators, too. Why would he agree to a search with no warrant if he knew that the scene was under his seat. He didn't, because he didn't put it there. Right, that's what I'm thinking. The other thing was that if it was Adam, he would have had to create some sort of time-release plan for the scene because he was six hours away at his sister's house the day that his mother got sick. So, these two discoveries put the investigators back on the pill... Pa- back on the path <laughs> of Bill. I'm just gonna combine that pill. Back on the path of Bill... Especially because one of Mary's sisters is, for some reason, suspicious of Bill.
2: So is there any reason or just that Bill was married to Mary, which made him the prime suspect? Well, there is one thing that's odd. Um, You remember Kathleen? One of Mary's sisters that had just recently lost her husband? Exactly. Well, Bill took his daughter's advice and he had reached out to
1: Kathleen. And, you know, just for support, for advice... And then the two started a romantic relationship within the couple of months between Mary's death and the start of the investigation. This raised red flags for the investigators because they're wondering if this relationship maybe began before Mary's death. However, Adam added another possible suspect to the list of investigators. You got all your red string? Yes. (laughs) It's all tied up right now, isn't it? Yes. So Katie Caudley, back to her, on again, off again, girlfriend. Adam remembered how the alpha brain she gave him caused similar symptoms to his mother's. He didn't get sick until right after taking that second alpha brain supplement. He gave the supplements to the investigators, letting them know he took two, and the second one made him sick. So when they checked out the bottle, that should have originally had 30 pills, according to what the bottle said they found that if Adam had in fact taken the two that he said that the bottle would have had 31 pills in it when given to Adam so one more than it should have had this was suspicious so Katie was added to the list of potential killers the investigators also had the receipt for the colchicine because it was found with the bottle under Adam's seat so now they can at least look into who bought the toxin because they know where it came from so they reached out to a woman named Rosa at Art Chemicals, where the colchicine was ordered. They found the email address that was used to order the toxin, and it was from Mr. Adam Yoder1990 at
2: gmail.com. Wait, so Adam was in on this?
1: Well, the problem with this email is that one, it was created at the chiropractic clinic after Adam stopped working there, two, Adam himself never accessed it and three the password was adam is gay (laughs) oh wow so these three things combined made the investigator think that whoever sent the anonymous letter also set up the email address do they know who
2: accessed the email
1: so they know like we like i said that it was set up at the office at the computer that katie worked at every day and it was also accessed again from her cell phone so they reached out to Rosa again at Art Chemicals and asked if she had spoken to anyone outside of email. And she said she'd only spoken to a woman on the phone when she'd made one phone call. And she had exchanged emails with who she thought was Adam, but you know, she can't verify that. So then the question is where does Katie get all of this money when she's just working at a receptionist? Told you I was coming back to that. Yes. Investigators reached out to Bill to ask if any money was missing from the clinic. Well, Katie handled the books, and since Bill and Mary trusted her, they didn't really pay much attention. But when investigators checked on it, it was very
2: clear that she had been embezzling money. Did Mary possibly know, and that was the motive of killing her? Well, if Mary knew, she didn't tell anyone, including
1: Bill, which was odd because it was their practice together. There was DNA on the colchicine bottle, and wouldn't you know, it was Katie's DNA. And, despite being in Adam's Jeep, his DNA was nowhere to be found on that bottle. So June 2016, Katie is arrested with murder in second degree, a count of forgery in second degree, two counts of falsifying business records in the first degree, and two counts of larceny. And the DA focused heavily on, like, the cyber forensics from Katie's iPhone. But the jury wanted a smoking gun. You also have to remember the time frame of when this is happening. This is happening when making a murderer is coming out, where we're seeing a lot of wrongly convicted criminals being set free. So right now, juries want, like, perfect
2: cases before that they will say someone's Yeah, guilty. you don't want to have that on your conscience
1: but cyber forensics isn't a smoking gun for them and cyber forensics is also still very new this was a you know a young college student she'd never been in trouble she came from a very well respected family in the area plus the question that the da really hadn't answered was why why would katie Connolly want to kill mary
2: yoder this is very true motive is always heavy in the jury's mind Did they even have a speculation? The only motive that they really
1: came up with and kind of presented in court was that this was all to her Adam, who she felt she was losing. And this is hard to prove, though. And that would show during the court case that they had a hard time really pinning that down as a motive because it's kind of just a thought and a feeling, and that's hard to prove. So May fifteenth, 2017, the jury is deliberating, and they notified of the judge that they were unable to come to a unanimous decision. But the judge basically was like, no, that's not good enough. Keep trying. And they did for three more days before coming to the same conclusion on May 18th.
2: So a an jury in a mistrial?
1: Exactly. The DA not, though, they're, they're not going down like that. They're not done with this case and a new court date is set for June 2nd, 2017. Between the time that the hung jury happened and the new trial, more things start to come to light as investigator, investigators think even harder into Katie. Also, at the same time, a lot of warrants they put in for, like, Google searches and things came back as the trial's happening, but they can't put that in now, but they can during the trial. And why did they
2: rush to, to trial? I mean, it I guess like they, they didn't have their ducks in a row before they went to trial. Well, I don't think they did either
1: personally, but maybe they thought it was strong enough with what they had. So, things are coming to light. They're really looking into Katie, um, and they're, I mean, they're determined to get this conviction on the second go-around, which is has been pushed from June to October. So, they decide that they're going to look at the medical records for that supposed miscarriage, which they found nothing because it apparently never happened. She never went to the hospital, so she never had a medically induced miscarriage, meaning that was all fabricated. They also got some backup data from when Adam had backed Katie's phone up on his laptop. When he told this to the DA, this helped show that she had planned this for quite a while.
2: Seems like a really major oversight from the previous trial
1: true but adam thought he had mentioned it to the da before but they are adamant that he did not but it was like pandora's box of evidence it showed her searching for poisons and seemingly settling on colchicine by the time they were done it showed how katie had lied to everyone and she didn't look as much like that college sweet student that she did in the first trial On November 4th of 2017, the jury began a two-day deliberation. They found her not guilty of second-degree murder.
2: Wait, she was not guilty?
1: On that charge, yes, but what was found guilty of manslaughter in the first degree, and she was sent to 23 years. While most of Mary's family is happy with the sentence, two of Mary's sisters still believe Katie's innocent, and this is all Bill's doing. Tell us what you guys think. we always recommend more bubbly and less OJ. Cheers! If you'd like to see pictures from today's episode you can find us at murder.mimosas on Instagram. You can also find us at murder.mimosas on TikTok, Twitter and if you have a case you'd like us to do you can send that to murder.mimosas at gmail.com and lastly we are on Facebook at Murder and Mimosas Podcast where you can interact with us there. We Love any type of feedback you can give us, so please rate and review us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: thanks for listening to this episode check out all the other tales in this limited series featuring extinguished deep dark secrets murder and mimosas true crime connections and of course santa may be a criminal be nice